This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. This is Matt Golden. Welcome to the Crusader Podcast, a show about the castles and crusades role-playing game. Alia Lakta S, the die is cast. Welcome, everybody, to our seventh episode of the Crusader Podcast. We're excited to bring Davis Chenault to you tonight, one of the co-creators of Castles and Crusades. We had Mac Golden on on the last episode. We thought we'd follow it up with an episode with Davis. So, Davis, thanks for being here tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> doing pretty good tonight. How about yourself? How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> doing great. Doing great, Davis. Davis is one of the uh, original trolls. Uh, proud to go back with him to uh, 2005 at Gen Con, a couple of years after I met Stephen and uh, Todd. So it's uh, great to have him here. And man, it's been almost 14 years, dude. So we're we're glad to have you here for sure. Oh yeah, no, it's been a yeah, it's been a really long time. You've seen me gone from long hair to short hair. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're the respectable troll now. You know he's all clean shaven, strategically shaved, and. And I'm the one who's trying to maintain the, uh, it, it, Davis was once known as uh, Captain Caveman. He was Captain Caveman. Yeah. yeah, that used to go around on, on the uh, forums, I think. Uh, you were Captain Caveman for a while. But yeah, uh, quite quite a, a storied history there with Davis. Davis, uh, I mean, you started out with uh, Mac and Steven and this whole thing uh, back in 99, 2000. We've heard two different stories of how this all came about. I still think Todd Gray with Troll Lord is the one who's got the real truth, but let's hear your truth, your your side of the story about how Troll Lord Games uh, got its start. Okay, this is sort of funny because I've, I've gone over this with Steve before, so I'm thinking maybe our stories are becoming, you know, enmeshed somehow. But this is how, from my perspective, what happened. Like, I was doing archaeology at the time, right? So I'm crisscrossing the country all year long, and... I would stop in Little Rock maybe two or three times a year whenever it was, you know, an opportunity came up. I'd swing by Little Rock, say hi to Kent, play a couple of games and whatever. And I remember one, it was, it must have been 98. I think it was 1998. I was over at Kent's house and uh, he brought out his book, right? This big, huge freaking binder, like, 500 or a thousand pages i don't know it's huge and he's like going through it looking through notes and talking about todd's character and max character and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff that was going on i was looking at it and i was like dude you should write some stories make a game or something like that and get that stuff published blah 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 and that's where it ended right and then like so unbeknownst to me at the time they had started that magazine called the seeker or tried to start that magazine called the seeker i was completely unaware that that thing existed i had no idea that steve had submitted uh modules to tsr either but anyway so you know i'm back into the doing the archaeology blah 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 coming back through the country and stuff like that and then i'm I'm coming through one day and uh i meet kent kent's like hey let's go meet mac down at uh vino's we got something to talk about it's like okay that's cool so we head down to vino's and there's Mac sitting in a chair. We're having pizza and beer and whatever. And there's Kent. And Mac has this folder with him and stuff like that. 
and they've already started this whole troll lord game thing right they had just haven't come up with a name and they want me in on the thing and i'm like oh okay so you guys got this thing going and i you know i was completely unaware of all this other stuff that had happened and i i thought oh i was the impetus for this whole thing i encouraged kent to like create this like create a game company go publish this kind of stuff and that was my image for this for the longest time then i found out about the seeker and all that kind of stuff but we came to an agreement at Vino's, and I don't know what Kent or Mac, you know, whatever they tell you where they came up with the agreement. It never happened anywhere else except at Vino's at that bar, at that table, where we were all like, you know, three or four beers in. We're like, no, we're going to actually form this company. We're going to go out and do this, blah, 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 blah. And to get the funding for the company, I had to put up my car. That was the guarantee. I had to hawk my car at the bank <laughs> to get to get to get funding to get the print product going now and, and i was listening to mac's rendition of the whole thing because mac wanted to get a company going apparently and i'm trying to recall exactly what he said but it was all tricksy on his part <laughs> to get kent to form the whole company he just used gin con as an excuse to get him to form that company or something like that so anyway it's just sort of funny so i, I always thought okay we formed the company over beers is what like that's how i think it actually happened we finally decided over some beers to form a company but the funny thing is i was still doing archaeology at the time i didn't have time to sit in one spot and do this thing so i was off i'd actually buy a computer a laptop to take with me so i could start writing and i remember being on the road writing all the time out in california doing all this map stuff yeah, they featured one of your uh hand-drawn maps that you had done for um was it aired or in, in Zaya or something, I guess, back in the early 2000s, a video that uh, Stephen and Tim had uh, from Stephen's office uh, recently? That map, yes. No, I drew that map by hand and using Photoshop. I scanned it in using Photoshop in California, I think in 2001. Now, I remember because I was in Carmel at the time, or Pacific Grove, Carmel Pacific Grove, and I had to uh, rent a computer at some computer whatever boutique you know and uh i was actually on vacation with my wife at the time but i had to work so i was reading this computer like 10 hours a day working on vacation uh, probably wasn't the wisest thing that i've ever done but in any respect that's where i drew the map and got it yeah no that map i drew the initial map of air i mean kent did you know the outline and everything like that but i drew that initial map of air and i found a few of them last night some of the original prints i think i found about a half dozen of those last night in a box but yeah no i drew that and i drew dungeon maps a lot of dungeon maps i don't know how many showed up in the modules i know that Zhebog. Felsentime, Vakund. There were a few in the original Bear Cult. Uh, in a few other modules they showed up in. But then I stopped drawing maps because they're so time-consuming. But I love drawing maps. I still draw maps today. And aired, and those drawing those maps goes back years and years and years. We started drawing... I think anyone who has played Dungeons & Dragons has created their own world, I think. I know some people play in whatever, Greyhawk and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter. But most people, they, they re-render Greyhawk or they'll re-render whichever setting they take. They re-render it, you know, for their own setting or they create their own setting altogether. So, but, and when we started, we didn't have, we didn't have Greyhawk until 81, 82. 
We didn't play. We just made up our worlds. And that's where, you know, Steve and I both have these worlds. Both of these worlds were started before Greyhawk came out. And then Kent quickly moved to Greyhawk. I moved to Greyhawk for a little while. Didn't like it. Rolled out. Not that I didn't like it. Let me rephrase that. It didn't fit my style of play. It had too many too many gnomes in it. <laughs> I was like, I've been so anti-gnome ever since this whole gaming thing started. I'm like, why would anyone want to play a gnome? I mean, it's this little bitty fat guy, you know, with big nose and yellow hats. Anyway, That's why I pressured I imagine gnome. I've pressured Stephen for years for you guys to write gnomes of aired, and he just won't do it. Yeah, he won't. Uh, has Steve ever described to you how he like envisions gnomes? They're like miniature mountain men, is what they are. That's how he sees gnomes. It's like you take uh, who's that mountain man that, that that mountain man movie that came out like five years ago, or whatever. With uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about. Who's that guy from the Titanic? Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Revenant. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a beautiful movie. But see, you just take Leonardo DiCaprio and you shrink him, and then you add like thirty pounds, and that's what that's that's how Steve envisions gnomes. And me, I can't get around the garden gnome thing. I look at the garden gnomes and I'm like, that's a gnome. So every time anyone says, I want to play a gnome, I'm like, yay! Why don't you just go play a clown somewhere? <laughs> so. As a general rule, no one ever plays gnomes in my campaigns. I have a lot of to imagine uh, gnomes as little Jeremiah Johnsons or something running around. Yeah, there. Yeah, Jeremiah Johnson, something like that. The uh, ooh, and what was that movie? That uh, uh, TV show from the seventies, the Mountain Man who had the bear pet. Grizzly Adams. Yeah, there's a gnome for you there. Except instead of a big bear, he has like a squirrel as a pet or something. I don't know. He rides a squirrel around. <laughs> gnomes, Lee Adams. <laughs> One of Steve's gnomes is like his favorite things. They all chew tobacco. And for some god awful reason, none of them know how to wipe their chin. So there's tobacco juice always rolling down their mouths and stuck in their beards. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, so back to the, the modules. When I started writing modules for my setting, uh, not for air or for generic stuff, I tend to be a little bit more generous. So when I wrote Vakhund, there were, I think, a sum total. If you added up all, there was no gold as treasure. There was no magic items as treasure, nothing. And there was some total of, there were silver pieces, about 10 silver pieces worth of treasure in the whole module, as I had written it up. And Kit came back to me, he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, it's, it's the world, it's a harsh world, man, you gotta just, you're gonna eke it out. I mean, you're gonna, you gotta find your food, you gotta hunt for your food, you gotta kill for your food. Uh, you gotta find something to do, maybe get a job or something like that. Uh, <laughs> You were the exact opposite of the Monty Hall dungeon. Yes, I was. Yes, no, that would have been the exact opposite. For example, so Mac played a rogue the very beginning of the vacuum campaign, and he survived all the way to Felsenthime and into the Kreuzmark and then to the Vindig River campaign. Okay, so there were some other campaigns that rolled out, out of the whole thing. Uh, but between those three modules, the Kreuzmark campaign and then the Vindig campaign, he managed to get to fourth level, okay? Uh, and he's one of two characters of the eight who started. He's one of two who survived from the beginning to the end. So anyway, he came out for fourth level. And the only, 
the only thing he had to show for it, well, other than a few extra hit points, <laughs> was, some, was some leather armor that was beaten up and bruised, and one short sword. That was it. He had nothing. He was like, how much gold do I have? And he's like, he was looking through his character sheet at 4th level, he's like, I don't know, I've got like three gold pieces of short swords, I've got some old beat up leather armor and nothing else. And he's like, I quit, I'm done, I'm retiring. <laughs> Spoke pretty highly of Akun, you know, when he was on the program, Mac did, and he, he said they're tough, though. And uh, we might point out, you know, you're speaking of um, uh, the Vakun and uh, Zebog and uh, Fels in Time. Uh, those were available in D20 form back in the early 2000s. Okay, so when the company first started, we were all giving ta given tasks, and we all had to write a module. So uh, actually, I was the only one that had to write a module because Kent and Mag had already written them. At some point, I think Ken actually took one he'd written and submitted to TSR and just edited it and put it down. Mac had written one. <laughs> so they're like, well, Davis, now you got to write one. Anyway, so I wrote Vakun, and that would have been under that original game that Mac designed. Sword and Sorcery, that's what it was. And that's a real simple, quite literally one page, maybe two pages, describes the entire game. Uh so we could get the modules out. So it was originally in, Vakun was originally uh, written for Sword and Sorcery. Then it was moved to D20 shortly thereafter, and it stayed active to about 2005. Anyway, so it comes out to the 2005 as Castles and Crusades. And then we dropped it for a long time. But as D20, we also did Bear Cult as D20, which is the follow-on to Fels, sort of a follow-on to Fels of Time. You know, in the in the first series of models, you, modules, you basically are just rescuing a princess, right? But that's uh, that's just the uh, what is it called? The McMuffin? What's it called in the movie? The like? <laughs> I like McMuffin. <laughs> yes, it's right. the McMuffin from now on. I don't care yeah. what it's actually called. No, McGuffin. <laughs> McGuffin, McGuffin is what you were looking for. But I'm going with McMuffin for yeah, yeah, McMuffin whatever on. Anyway, so, you know, Princess. I'm going to copyright that. Yeah, it's the McGuffin. It's just a way to get you in there. And uh, anyway, but you have to get her back to her family in Bear Cult. And so, yeah, so then we did uh, Bear Cult by Shadow of Night. And then uh, Beneath the, the Black, Moon. Black Moon, Bear Cult Beneath. Yeah, and then Beneath the Back Moon, and now Raglasborg. With uh, Raglasborg, <clears throat> we've heard a few different pronunciations. Raglasborg, that was mine, and C's was Raglasborg. And Borg, uh, this is kind of a, a city, uh, and it can kind of be played uh, as a standalone as well, or as a part of the overall uh, Enzea campaign. It's it's part of the Enzea campaign, uh, but it's not tied directly. I mean, if you read through Bear Cult, uh, the Bear Cult books. There's uh, Ubert von Beck is a pirate who's in disguise in Bear Cult, and he plays a very significant role in the whole. He's actually the catalyst for the whole problem. The character, no matter how you play the characters, the characters are pawns in sort of like this whole thing that Ubert von Beck has arranged. So the whole end game of the campaign is to quit being the pawn and eventually take control of the board right or master the board that's sort of like the thing sort of like a chess piece you start out as pawns someone else is running the game by the time you figure out who's running the game uh 
you you kill them and run the game yourself basically this, this is, the, is the whole point of the game that's never the whole point play of the chess game. with davis <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty brutal <laughs> that's the lesson we learned it's a it's a long game that i play <laughs> that uh, ends in murder <laughs> Yes, that, yes, that, yes, the whole end point. Yeah, it's funny because it's sort of like, you know, thinking about it now, it's sort of like it's just the whole thematic setting for the whole Inzea world setting is sort of that way. The uh, But the idea is that you eventually end up, you want to control the board. You want to be in control of your own destiny, ultimately, is the whole point of the thing. Uh, and you feel like you're in control of your whole destiny the whole time, but you're not really. You're just a pawn in everyone else's little game until you get powerful enough. So Uber von Beck is a pirate, and his he he's based out of the city of Raglisborg, and Raglisborg is a famous sort of mythological, like Timbuktu is to us, except Raglisborg has the uh, or Tortuga, uh, it has a bad reputation rather than a good reputation. It's where all the worst people in the world go to hang out and have fun. If you consider slitting throats, execution, thieving, robbing, murder, fun, you know that's but they do. So, yeah, so Raglisberg is where Uber von Beck eventually ends up, and the characters may or may not eventually end up there. Because I have played in the campaign, in my campaigns, I've played people in Raglisberg in two different ways as adventurers coming in and as adventurers starting in Raglisberg. Uh, and it's a pretty, the way I played it, it's a, I've softened it up for publication a little bit, but it's a really brutal city. There is no law and order. There is no government. It's a collection of criminals, the worst people in the world, you know, and you just put them in one scene and say, hey, yeah, you know, this is your city now. Do what you need to do. That's what Raglisborg is. It's a pirate. It's where pirates hang out, bandits hang out, brigands hang out, and that's where they go. And no one can get to the city. I mean, it's been tried in the past one time. And the city was not ever conquered, uh, and it's remained a pirate haven ever since. But there's no rules, laws, or anything like that. So it's a crazy little city. Now, the cool thing about this city, so you can go into the city as adventurers, which is a different dynamic because most players, whether they like to or not, almost every player is good. Okay, almost everyone I ever play with my whole life, they always play a good character. Even if they want to play a chaotic evil character, they just can't do it at the end of the day. Because uh, 90% of the people out there, I think, you know, they're just good people, you know, at least gamers are. So they have a dif difficult time playing chaotic evil characters. But the occasions that I have allowed people to start in Raglisborg have been very, very interesting. Uh, because you have to start, you'll either start as a thief or an assassin, you know, maybe a ranger or something like that, a fighter, whatever. Uh, but the characters take on this totally different, the players will actually take on a totally different uh, mindset generally because the way this setting is set up, you have to have the mindset to survive in that setting. And everything suddenly becomes justified. So stealing becomes justified. And even just randomly stealing from someone, you know, for no reason whatsoever other than to steal you know, becomes like a justified action because it actually moves you up in the hierarchy and, you know, whatever actually protects you in the future from potential harm. Uh, but anyway, it produces some, it has produced in the past some very interesting characters. The most people honestly can't stay in the city for long because <laughs> it's where, it's where truth comes to die. <laughs> everyone's a liar. Everyone's up to something. <laughs> 
Anyway, it's a, I don't know. I, I've always loved the city. I never really intended to put it in print, just keep it sort of a mythological pirate city and sort of the background of the setting and let anyone do with it what they wanted. Um, but I, was, I, I don't know. I, was, I had so many notes on it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to run this up. Run it by Steve, see what happens. And he's like, yeah, go for it, whatever. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I, like, I, don't, I don't know. So there we are. There we have it. Cool. There's a lot of this. So when Regelsborg comes out, do you have to play the other adventures up to that, or is this like a standalone thing? It's a stand. It's a standalone. You can play the other adventures. I do not have a single reference to the other adventures in it. Now I may, you having mentioned it, I may actually put a reference in the beginning if you want to move over from the others. Uh, but it's a complete standalone right now. That's one of the great uh, things about uh, island uh, campaign settings is they really fit into any world. You know, you have a you have water, <laughs> you can put an island in there. Exactly. Yes. Oh yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, it's nice to have in enclosed, and that's sort of the problem with running like when you have these series of adventures, you know, over space, you know, physical space, is that it has to be fit somehow into a campaign world. Uh, which can be problematic for some people. But when you have an island, no, or just like this individual city with no relationship to the outside world, then you've got something to work with. You can just throw it in virtually anywhere. Well, an island can't go anywhere, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean it could fit within any campaign world pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, especially an unknown island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to be on your maps. <laughs> I think it was Mac who had said that sometimes your adventures are, are, are pretty tough. I mean, you, uh, for example, I'm looking at some of the uh, punishments in the city of uh, Bergolt uh, from the Shadow of Night, a uh, perfect bound soft cover of Lord Games. And, you know, there's breaking and entering, removal of a finger, uh, other uh, more unsavory crimes where it's death and uh, public uh, mutilation. It's, it's it, this is some really tough stuff here, you know, and I'm thinking, uh, in the den of iniquity with Raglisborg, that's got to be ten times worse than Bergolt, as far as I can tell. Yeah, because well, yeah, the funny thing is, I don't have. I mean, there's no crime in in den of iniquity. There's no crime, right? So there's no criminal code. Here's 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 like, so it's sort of hard to describe. I mean, you almost have to when you piss someone off. They can do whatever they want to do to you, period, to get back at you. So they may punch you. They may kill you. It's up to them. And there's no one there to stop them. There's no authority to go to. There's nothing. So how does a city like that work is sort of the question. Power. <laughs> <laughs> so the characters getting messed in this, like, really weird power struggles between individuals. And again, sort of like the whole campaign setting is set up like that, where the idea, rather than like, uh, like thematically, let's say, in Zaya is set up so that the players are unwitting, they're, they're pawns, and the mythology is set up so that they know that they're pawns, but the way you play, you don't think that you're pawns. So when you set up the game and how it's played out is that the characters sort of, are pawns but they have agency within you know the board uh, but the idea ultimately within the whole mythos is that you control your own destiny you break free from the destiny designed by others and you become free 
basically. You step out of fate. That's sort of the thematic thing behind the whole Wednesday thing. So I was okay. I'm looking for that punishment thing now because, yeah, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, there were quite a few. I mean, there's 20, 30 listings. Even if you had that product just to use that table for the punishments, uh, it's some really uh, serious stuff. But it seems like you really have kind of a reputation for writing a, a tough adventure. I was trying to remember, cause you wrote a significant amount of the A series, uh, you know, uh, which we definitely want to talk about that too, the rising night and assault on Blacktooth Ridge and uh, uh, several of those until uh, Stephen, AKA Kent took over the series at some point uh, before the a 12 range. But there was one, a five, one of those, you had something in there where Stephen described the adventure as a characters have to keep their wits about them or something. I couldn't find the quote or else they'll jump around like a fart in a frying pan or something. <laughs> I've never heard anything like that in a print. <laughs> well, I couldn't find it. <laughs> no, I don't, but that sounds exactly like something that Steve would say. I mean, it would fart in a frying pan. Uh, Who would ever uh, use that? Yeah. Yeah, and it, I guess it was one of these adventures that gave the impression, at least the way Steven said it. You you said, I don't know what he meant for sure, <laughs> and I don't think any of us want to know. But uh, I guess the, the whole point was is you better keep your wits about you in A5 or whichever adventure it was, or you'd end up like a fart in a frying pan. So uh, Yeah, I think it was A5, which is Ludensheim. I think the city of Ludensheim. Right after that, yeah, yeah. So I was tasked with taking it from A1 to A12, which is up to the gates. And Kent had to give me the description of the gates. I just had to come up with the adventure to get them there. Uh, then about A, I think it may have been A, as early as A7. Uh, it, but anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. A7, A8, Steve had to take over. Uh, he just fleshed out, like, he didn't just flesh out. He took, like, the barest bone outlines uh, and ideas that ran from A0 to A12 and had to flesh out the four last four modules. And then he actually ended up, I think almost 90% of the last module was his. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got That's a fanboy here, you know, to say, uh, you know, you've got several uh, good adventures, obviously. And, and among them, uh, one that uh, gets uh, quite a few compliments from time to time is uh, sometimes some have called it a modern classic, not just me, but a few other people, which was uh, A0, the rising night. And that goes, as far back as the uh, CNC white box set initially, and then eventually a, a, a few years later was printed uh, as uh, A0, The Rising Night. So the white box came out. We needed a module. I wrote A0, and that was based on an adventure I did with Steve and Chris and Mac uh, that I really, 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 really liked. I really enjoyed that adventure. It was set and aired so I could be a little bit more, you know, even running uh, in Zag can sort of be taxing at times because I always have to think of, like, why this person is doing X, Y, and Z and what they're up to and what they want to gain out of it and how they're going to take advantage of the characters. It's like everyone is that way. But so when I play an air, it's really, it can be sort of relaxing because I can actually have good people do good things and be up, you know, be good. You know, they're not up to anything. They're not liars or anything. So anyway, I wrote, I did, I did an air campaign and A0 was the start of it. I really enjoyed that campaign. And that dungeon in there I really liked because it's the first time I came up with a living dungeon. So the dungeon in there, actually, the walls move around and stuff because the dungeon's alive. So it'll move its walls around and stuff to confuse the characters. Uh, but it came out with the white box set. And then we did A1. And we dropped A0 and we did A1, Blacktooth Ridge. Now, Blacktooth Ridge is perhaps the the funnest thing I've ever written in my whole life. 
I just not Veracult one may be better, uh, <laughs> funner, more more enjoyable to write. But I really Blacktooth Ridge Assault on Blacktooth Ridge, and it took me forever to come up with the name and the concept because it. And I'll tell you what I did uh, for the whole Blacktooth Ridge thing. I went back through and reread just about every module that Gary had written. And then pulled from those the best of them. And then pulled those from all it's like I was down to like five modules and then three modules and you have like Hamlet G1. I can't remember the other one. It's like these are just these are just great modules. And it's like what are the elements in these modules? What elements are in these modules that make them good modules? So I wrote down this list of like elements. This is these are the elements that make a good module as per you know Gary Gygax. And I tried to sort of ape that element. Uh, I think I did it. I think I did an okay job with uh, Assault on Blacktooth Ridge. Assault on Blacktooth Ridge is one of my favorite adventures. Actually, um, I've been running that at cons for a couple years now. Just oh. like a like an accelerated version of it. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if I'm going to start a new home campaign with a new group of people, I usually will pick between Assault on Blacktooth Ridge or Keep on the Borderlands. So it's yeah, Keep it's on the Borderlands. Company. Yeah, that was the that was the other one. That was that was one of the three. So you have Hamlet, G1, and Keep on the Borderlands. Those were the three modules that I chose of Gary's. Is like saying, okay, those there's there's an element to each one because yeah, everyone still plays Keep on the Borderlands. So you're looking at what 30 years old or some 37 years old. And, the, you know, the game's gone from, what, basic AD&D, second edition, 3, 3.5, 3.75, 3.40, 4.0, whatever. <laughs> and, and here we are. It's, people are still playing it, you know. So there's something about. Well, thanks for that, Jesse. I'm glad. I appreciate that. That's, uh, no, and, and you do kind of write some tough modules. This, this last group I started at a game store, um, they got their butts kicked in there. <laughs> they, there was a couple deaths. So that's okay. You know, a couple of deaths here, a couple of deaths here. Yeah. Although, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Like in my home campaigns, I don't really care. I'll kill a character left, right, and center. I don't really mind. Steve won't. Steve's a little bit more generous. He's like more concerned with long term story arc and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong, he will kill a character. Uh, but he's. He's a he's a better DM he's a better game master than me in that respect. And that I'll just let the dice roll where they go. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I got three twenties in a row. It sucks for you. Uh but can't or can Kent will control it just a little bit a little bit more. But I don't. I don't control it. And yeah, they can be tough. Uh we kind of talked about setting the record straight on the three different versions of how Trollord games formed and whatnot. I do remember something that um, Mac Golden brought up uh, in uh, episode uh, six of the Crusader podcast. Uh, he was talking about how you guys had kind of gotten CNC uh, kind of uh, into some sort of a rule set and whatnot. And I guess it was about to go off to the printers. And there was a bit of a, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would call it an accusation, a story that maybe somebody might have gone in and changed some rules overnight before it would go off to the printer. Uh, you know anything about this, maybe. <laughs> I, tell, <laughs> I tell you what, when those two get in there and mess with my rules, <laughs> I will have the last word no matter what. 
I will, I will sneak into, I will sneak into my brother's house at two a.m. in the morning, <laughs> get into his master files and change a few words here and there, and then walk away. None the wiser. So, uh, no, no, I never did that. <laughs> never just, did that. Just wanted to set the record straight. Yeah. No, I can't remember. There were some, there were some real disagreements, and I know that. Uh, I can't remember all the ones we disagree. Oh man, those those initial rules. Okay, so you guys know that when we okay, so we wrote Castles and Crusades, and the name is an homage to Gary's original game group, right? Well, we were working with Gary at the time because he wanted to produce Igsburg, uh, and he was writing it in AD&D format, but we couldn't produce it in AD&D format, so. Uh, we were working on Castles of Crusades at the time. At the time, uh, so we just made sure that it was formatable and playable as the way Gary was writing Igsburg. And as it turns out, the the two just meshed meshed perfectly. Where was I going with this? What was the initial conversation about? About rules that may have changed. Uh, you know, yeah. Right. So anyway, I have a love hate relationship with rules. So I liked Rollmaster. Uh, but I played Tunnels and Trolls, AD&D, let's see, Rollmasters, Tunnels and Trolls, AD&D, Warhammer, and a few other games. Jeez, uh, what's that? Palladium's books, stuff like that. Anyway, I played all these games when I was gaming in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. Uh, and I love sort of gritty rules, like a lot of uh, grainy rules, grainy. Uh, so I was really attracted to Rollmaster, which... For anyone who's played Rollmaster, <laughs> knows. Master. Yeah, yeah. So it's a difficult. So anyway, I've been working on these rule sets for years. You know, a hundred different. Everyone has, right? Everyone has run their own games. Like I got my own like critical hit table. This is what I want to do. Hits. Blah 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 blah. And I had created tons and tons of rules. So we were we were working on these the initial castles and crusade rules. And oh my God, you should have seen the initial rule set that I came up with. Oh, this is another thing about some of those things, how we misremember things. There was the Kent rule, or the Stephen rule. Uh, so anyway, well, well, just as an example, the initial rule write-up was a classless system that I had developed. So it was a skill-based system uh, with tiered skill acquisition tables, and there were dozens and dozens of tables. So like you would start out like, whatever, you start your character out and you you know how to use like a sword. You got like an arming sword, you know how to use that. And you got to work up to all these different swords, but you can't, you know, learn how to use like a great sword until you learn to use an arming sword. You have to build up to it, right? So anyway, it was a really complex system. Uh, and it was boiled all back down. All the fat was boiled off of it. Uh, eventually we went back to a class system and stuff like that. The class system was actually a, it, who cares? Anyway, so do we go back to, uh, oh, we had this Kent rule, right? Or Stephen rule, that's what we call it. I would write a rule, and if if Kent didn't understand it on the first reading, it was nixed. <laughs> <laughs> so we had three, because Kent hates rules or let's say he doesn't really hate rules but he hates overly complex rules wordy sentences he wants it just to be straightforward this is i mean this is your world rule it can't be this complicated it cannot be like this massive long you know convoluted sentence or something like that it just has to be a rule 
real simple rule for work to work. So we had this whole Stephen rule. And we, you know, we'd feed him a rule and he'd be like, I can't understand this. I don't know how many emails I got back from him. Like, the... He's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm going to blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, and I'd go to Mac and Mac would be like laughing. We'd be sitting there making jokes that, you know, he doesn't understand any rules, but he's not a rules guy. And he still hates rules. He doesn't. And it's still our thing. If and he's it's it's he's sort of a he's really good at this and it's really valuable to have him there. Uh, is that I will write a really hyper complex rule for no good reason whatsoever. I mean, it has no really particular end goal in mind. I mean, it, it's just I like the grittiness of the rule, and uh, or the graininess of the rule. But it always ends up like the same place. And that's like Steve, Steve will always be like, well, you've got this really, you know, that's really neat, Davis. That's really cool. But really, you're just talking about damage. Why don't you just roll a dice? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, let's go with that one. But yeah, he'll simpl- he'll help simplify all the rules down to something from something hyper complex to a little less complex. Although he has green lighted. He told me, he's like, Davis, go ahead and do your game system that you want to do. I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so I've got a game system lined up on the horizon too. Awesome. I, I, now I don't know when it's released. I've got the initial rule set written up. It's still like the basic siege engine type. We're going to work with the siege engine. Uh, Steve did put a few parameters on it, but I can run with the siege engine whichever direction I want to run. The name of the game is going to be Pillage, right? And it's actually and it's going to be based on how I run a campaign. So it's going to be very violent with a lot of gritty rules in it. But it's also it's going to be classless. There's not going to be any classes in the game, and uh, you like experience. I'm really haven't really figured out how I want to do experience yet. Uh, but your end goal for your characters are going to be like culture related end goals. So you know, like you don't you you won't get any experience for treasure, magic items. That's just crap you gather along the way, right? to make your life a little bit easier or your chances of survival a little bit greater. Uh, but you'll be able to play like orcs, humans, dwarves, giants, and it's going to be unfair too. Okay. We're not all like a giant. If you want to play a giant, you can start your heads, your heads above everyone else in that world. Okay. Heads above everyone else in that world. And you'll start the game out heads above everyone else in that world. But you're a giant, which means you're a target. <laughs> so you're going to start out ahead of everyone else. But there's a lot of other big creatures, uh, you know, head hunting for the giant, too. But anyway, it's going to be a little bit grittier uh, rule system or a little bit grainier rule system. Uh, class, not there's not going to be any classes in it. There will be treed, uh, like skill trees that you have to climb up to get to certain places. Magic now. Magic is going to be handled a little bit differently. I'm not really fond of most magic systems. Um, they're, they're they're problematic. They can be problematic, right? I have this thing about this magic. This is like, you know, it's a, what does it do? Either does damage. So you have like fireball, lightning bolt, magic missile. It's just it's a damage, right? So basically, you could say magic user does one d six of damage. Choose whichever method you want to have. It can be a fire. It can be a lightning bolt. It can be water. It can be, I don't know, 
plasma. I, who cares? You know, it could be a thought. You know, you just send a bad thought to someone do 1d6 points of damage. doesn't really matter. It's like a damage thing or you alter reality or something like that with whatever. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. So anyway, so but magic, I want to do magic a little bit different. Uh, everyone has a little bit of magic because it exists in the world. It's not just magic users. Magic exists as the real thing, okay? And everyone knows it. Uh, so everyone would have access to a certain amount of magic. Okay. So like in the middle ages, people would put, what would they put on their front door to stop pixies or nixies or whatever they called them, kobolds coming into their house at night. There was always, some people would put food out, uh, garlic was for vampires, but there was always, there's always something. You put this little thing outside the house to prevent them from coming in or to placate them. So you'd offer food to placate them or something like that. So a character in the game would have access to this type of protective magics, right? So you know in this world that there are malevolent beasts and uh, what you, but, but what you'll have is like, so, so like, let's say Nixies. So what do you do to prevent a Nixie? Uh, you take some, whatever, I'll just make it up, some rosemary and you sprinkle rosemary around your, you know, around yourself and nixies can't cross rosemary right so then you have like so everyone's going to have this little magic and it's just like in uh in the Enzea world if if like you ever say something if you're on a bridge fighting on a bridge and you call forth heimdall you have to do it in game you automatically get a plus one to your armor class and plus one to hit and plus one to damage in my campaign that's how it's run if you're on a bridge and you call the god everyone gets it that's the piece of magic everyone gets so everyone's going to get magic in the game as well Anyway, so there, that's, yes, pillage will be the, uh, the thing. And my campaign setting, we're going to up, up the ante on Enzea, Crucible of the Dragon, or the Dragon's Crucible. It's going to be the entire Enzea campaign setting. Hopefully that'll come out later this year, maybe early next year. It sounds really cool what you guys are going to do with Raglis Borg as far as people that maybe already ex own some of these existing uh, soft cover perfect bounds like uh, Death in the Trackland or By Shadow of Night and beneath the black moon uh they may be able to get the box and uh you know for the for the set and put these uh books in the box set along with the uh map of Inzea and then that Inzea primer that was out uh, a small soft cover and then of course uh the Raglisborg uh den of iniquity as well so it's going to be similar to those box sets you guys have done for beneath the canopy green which was a collection of Stevens dark and fold forest or or even with the a series uh, that half of it's going into a box set and half of it's in the uh, uh, another box. And then, of course, the Alfstrag uh, box sets that are uh, still yet to come. Oh, yeah, no, I think everything should fit in that box. Everything produced for Inzea. So you got uh, the Death on the Trekland series, Berg 1, Berg 2, Racklesburg, Maps, Inzea. I think there's four modules out, maybe five, like Ambuscadia, Caverns, Verdant Rage, for Burning Firmament. Uh at least, at least three. I think it's four now. Uh, independent modules of the series. Uh, yeah, it should all fit into that box. And I can't honestly, I cannot wait till that box is done. Anyway, yeah. So the box set will be it'll be really good for me. I really love those box sets too. By the way, they're really pretty awesome. Davis, we we asked this of Matt Golden when he was on uh, last time around, and kind of curious as your thoughts. One of these really serious kind of questions. You know, uh, CNC has obviously been around for quite some time now, since 2004, and Trollor Games had its beginnings in 99-2000, and uh, here we are at 2019, and 
you kind of see that there's a, a bit of a fan base and people still uh, buying the merchandise and kind of rallying around, not just gaming, but even just castles and crusades. You guys have, I guess, if you want to call it made it in the industry. Uh, Casey Christopherson, one of the freelancers always laughs. So I call it the industry. We kind of have a laugh about that, but it is sort of an industry. What, what are your thoughts and, and how do you feel when you see that the product uh, that you've worked on has, has continued on for at least 15 years? Uh, I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. So you mentioned 15 years. That seems like an awfully long time to me because it seems like only a few years ago that we started this whole venture. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it really makes me happy. I mean, I'm glad that, uh, I mean, you, you throw something out there, you never know what to expect. Of course, you expect, you know, you hope that, you know, someone will like it or appreciate it. Uh, but it always turns out to be really nice when, you know, quite a few people actually really like what you have done and you can help uh, make their life a little bit more enjoyable. You know, it's fine. You know, uh, because I always envisioned like part of my vision for CNC, and this is just sort of, this is just me. Uh, I wanted to write in the uh, introduction. I think it may be in one of the introductions, but it's been pulled I haven't read a recent introduction. I don't, or I don't recall it. I'm sure that I've read it. Uh, but the, like one of the things behind CNC was like, well, you know, we play all these fantasy characters and doing all these crazy things and these fantasy worlds, junk like that. And I'm like, there's no reason that anyone can't have adventures in real life. You know, you can go out and do these things. Uh, I mean, you can go out, you can learn to ride a horse and go, you know, bow hunting uh, you know, you know, whatever you want to do, mountain climbing, bow hunting. Now you could even join the army and become a special forces or something like that. You know, I'm not suggesting any, you know, criminal like, yeah, if you want to play a rogue, don't, you know, don't do that. <laughs> don't go have those type of adventures. I mean, but you can have a lot of adventures in real life. And I, you know, and I always thought that, you know, you know, CNC, at least like you play adventures in this game, go do it in real life. And I wanted that in the introduction somewhere, but it never ended up in the introduction. Maybe at one, one of the printings it did. Uh, but I wrote a, either a blog entry or a Facebook entry about it, uh, what I had hoped for CNC to help propel people to do, is to have real adventures in real life. I you think it's know. cool. I, I mean, I'm an outdoors person and it, I like having adventures in real life also. And it's funny, like, uh, like the first time you ever walk over 20 miles in a day, you're less likely to skip over the travel time in your D&D campaign. I have yeah, learned exactly. that. It's like, oh, you know, I used to just be like, oh, okay, you guys walk your 20 miles this day or 15 miles or whatever. And it's like when you're out there and you actually do it, it's like this sucks. This is hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do your first 20 miles in a day. And not even that, you do 13 miles. Or this, I'm sure you've done this northern wisconsin you go by that 40 acres where there's no trail and you go through an old growth forest with no trails in it well let's say mid growth not really old growth can be actually sort of easy sometimes uh but with all the deadfall on this forest floor and undergrowth in the spring i mean i, I did it for 15 years and as an archaeologist surveys out west surveys in swamps surveys in you know south arkansas the ozarks kentucky it is difficult at times to move through the woods and it I mean, slows you way down you know people yeah. or you yeah, being an archaeologist and you know like you've held like artifacts and stuff like that connected with um people from the past and it's like 
when your D&D or CNC character or whatever, like picks up an ancient sword or finds some sort of ancient treasure. Like I've always liked that about role-playing games. David Chenault brings that real world adventuring experience to this. I mean, he's got the battle scars to prove it. This man's been in the U S army. He's uh, been an archeologist. You name it. This guy has done it. And that allows you to kind of bring that perspective to your, uh, your writing as well, I would imagine. The, yeah, it's really cool. It's funny too, because your real life experiences will bleed over into your campaign and the way you manage yourself. So like in my campaign, there, it's not full of like, there's hardly any magic. When you come across a piece of magic, it's a piece of magic, right? And that's because that's part of the whole archeology span thing is like the rarity of these really extraordinary things. It has to be special to make the impact. All right, Davis. Well, again, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and talking with us. It's been great, and it's been great to hear your perspective of how Troll Lord Games started. Uh, we've got three different stories now, so I guess everybody can pick whatever canon they want. All right. The, the truth will set you free. Just pick your <laughs> truth. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know which story is the more accurate. Some games may change, but the Castles of Crusade Siege Engine remains the same. My next CNC character is going to be a Jeremiah Johnson gnome named McMuffin. <laughs> named McMuffin. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>